of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. everyone. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones here to discuss issues of worship, theology, and culture with you. Um, today I'm going to talk about another music-related topic. Um, last week I talked about hymns, and uh, here we are talking about another music-related topic. And in fact, next week will be music as well. Uh, again, I want to clarify that Music and worship are not synonymous. Um, they're two different things. Uh, but today, I want to talk about, this is a question that has been asked of me several times in my ministry. Um, should we use the music of ungodly composers or songwriters? Um, usually, this happens in a case where maybe there's been a, a fall or maybe someone someone is just blatantly living in sin, and they everyone knows it, and yet they write good music. And certainly, this question could be asked of other Christians and artists and creators, authors, preachers, anybody really. And the question is likely not derived from thoughts about their work, but their lives. And so, in my experience, it's it's been asked usually out of a genuine concern for God's people, and and how. Using such a person's work will impact the local church. Years ago, a prominent Christian musician that I grew up listening to professed his homosexuality um, while I was serving in a local church fellowship. And um, I'm still asked questions to this day about this person. Is it wrong or right? Is it okay to use his music? And while I openly admit that his decision has had drastic negative effects, probably on professing Christians and churches... Um, and really outside the church as well, we should assess whether using his music is still acceptable. Can the Lord still use his music, even though he is um, blatantly denied his sinful lifestyle? Although I think we need to test and measure everything we allow into our lives, whether that's movies, music, whatever it may be, I want to examine how to respond specifically to the music of ungodly composers, songwriters, or hymn writers. Um, I, uh, I'll start off by saying this. I firmly believe that it is accept acceptable and even good to use the music of anyone, irrespective of their lifestyle, if the music is created within the bounds of certain theological parameters. Um Regarding this topic, I have four thoughts that I want to give you concerning the church's use of ungodly uh, composers' music. Uh, first thing is, uh, some of these are, might be obvious, but we really need to apply them to our own lives. Um, can any uh, God can use anyone and anything he desires. In Numbers 22, God uses ba Balaam's donkey to speak. Um, I heard Rich Mullins once say um, that God spoke through Balaam's ass, and he has been speaking through asses ever since. <laughs> um, God has used unworthy people throughout the history of the church, and realistically, we are all unworthy. And so in a world, in a world that seeks to be ahead of everyone else, 
and selfishly tries to get ahead of everyone else, it can be easy to forget that everything good comes from God. In other words, our gifts and our talents really don't matter. They're not from us. And with God himself as the foundation of the church, it's not uncommon for the Lord to use people who are unworthy or even seemingly despicable to a lot of people. And so God can do whatever he wants, and particularly, I believe, even more so with a repentant heart. But we are dealing with the issue here of what do you do with songwriters who write good music, theologically sound music, but their lifestyles say something else. Um, God uses sinners for his glory, no matter the degree of their sin. And so if God inspires songwriters to produce music that glorifies him greatly, but their lives contradict the authority of scripture, is the truth in their message revoked? Obviously not. The, The message in song is still objective truth. And so to be objective means that nothing can affect its component of truth, including the messenger of the, the, the song. So as God's people, if we believe that one's lifestyle affects the truth of their message, we practically make that person an idol by elevating the person above God who gives them the message. And so God can use anyone in anything he pleases. We're imperfect people. And so songwriters are bound to make mistakes, some perhaps greater than others, but the Lord still uses the message. So that's something we need to keep in mind when we are figuring this out. Um, One of my favorite choral composers, um, and I've used some of his music for church choirs, um, has been known to live a very ungodly lifestyle. Uh, But he the music he writes is still useful for corporate worship. And the truth is, most people who hear it have no clue. And so in that case, it really doesn't affect people too much. Um, Second thought I have on this, and I'm driving somewhere here with this, so hang with me here. The power of the gospel is in its message, not the messenger. So rather than the artist, we should focus on the message of the music we sing and, and the music to which we listen. The message in gospel music is the same message that was preached by Paul and the apostles. Just as God uses the, the foolishness of preaching, so he also uses the foolishness of songwriting. And so our talents and abilities save no one. Only the righteous power of God through the Holy Spirit saves. This is evident when God uses the preacher's horrid sermon of which we've probably all heard and some of us have probably preached. (laughs) Um, He uses a bad preacher's sermon to bring lost souls to know him. And in such a case, it wasn't the messenger who saved people. It was God himself. The message is far more vital than the messenger. Third thought I have on this is that no one is perfect. And guess what? This is nothing new. We have to be conduits of God's grace with the perpetual realization that no one is perfect and no one has ever been perfect. In a digital and technological age like we live in, we seem to know too much about people. Theologians and hymn writers of the past often lived lives that really would make people blush today. (laughs) If people knew some of the things that Martin Luther did and wrote even in his books and writings, uh, the good thing is that most of us who speak English do not speak German, but if you knew what it was translated to be, many people uh, would probably have a heart attack. (laughs) 
we should be people of grace and understand that everyone needs God's grace. If the tool used to present the gospel message that we're talking about music here, if it's true, does the composer's lifestyle change the message? Obviously not. But the church wants to immediately purge herself of anything good which God has given through the artist. In other words, get rid of their work. We want no association with them. And to an extent, I get that, but I fear that the truth is that we're trying to protect our reputation by distancing ourselves from those who have fallen. Uh, and to, to go off, kind of chase a rabbit here, how often do people in the church fall or make mistakes and we distance ourselves from them instead of trying to restore them and showing mercy and grace? If that's the case, we sin by judging rather than mercifully restoring the person who has fallen. Don't hear what I'm not trying to what I'm not saying, okay? I'm I'm not saying to hire every musician who lives an ungodly lifestyle. That's not what I'm saying, and I'm not saying that there should not be accountability. In fact, discipline is necessary uh, in people's lives. But as far as dealing with the music and the art that people produce who perhaps live lives that are known to be contrary to scripture, we need to understand our own need for mercy and our own need for grace just as much as anyone else. There's a truth and there's a value in what they produce in their music. I'm not saying hire them as your worship pastor, but if what they have produced is useful, why not use it? The fourth thought I have here um, on this issue is if the Lord used a sinful messenger to bring you to salvation, uh, does that negate his saving work in your life? And I'm specifically talking about uh, preachers. Um, maybe you had a great pastor growing up. Maybe when you became a Christian, you had a great pastor. Uh, but there are some people who were saved under the ministry of a pastor or a preacher who later had a great fall. Okay, so if that happened, does that negate God's saving work in your life through that minister? Obviously not. This is a rhetorical question. If the Lord used a sinful messenger to bring you to salvation, that does not negate God's saving work in your life through that messenger. The obvious answer is no, but we live as if that's not the case. Maybe you can recall a minister in your life or who you have heard of or who you knew in your life who eventually fell into the traps of sin. It's happened. It's happened to many people. And it doesn't mean they weren't a Christian. It doesn't mean anything other than they fell. They made a mistake. It happens. If you come to know Christ under such a person's ministry, do their mistakes revoke or cancel your salvation experience? No. If God has truly saved you, you are his no matter how you came to know him. And so the sinfulness of the messenger doesn't affect the power of the message. This is a very complicated and difficult issue to tackle. And so the final thing I would say in, in, as worship leaders, if you are a worship leader, you're involved in the worship ministry, um, and you're trying to figure these things out. Let, let me give you an example. Uh, in 2000, I believe it was 2008, a a song came out by a popular worship group um, and, and it was going to be on their new album. And this story came out about the writer of this song that it, it, it eventually ended up being found out that, um, that this person was lying about the story of why they wrote the song. And so it, it was a big deal. 
It was right before the album came out, and all these churches had planned to use this song in their services, and all of a sudden they just stopped using it when they heard out they heard the guy lied. Um, uh, the songwriter lied about his story. And so they um, churches have stopped using it. But every now and then I would hear of a church using it. My church used it, and, and, and some other churches um, used it. And, and every now and then I still hear churches using this song. It was a good song. Um, there was truth in the song. There still is truth in the song. Uh, but that was a difficult situation. People had to determine, should we use this song or not? And personally, I had no problem using it. People worshipped by singing this song. And so in all of this, a worship leader needs to exercise wisdom in using the music of ungodly people. I don't advocate really using it or not using it uh, in uh, all across the board. It depends on the context. Uh, but I think sometimes we need to be more merciful and err on the side of mercy than we do. Uh, nonetheless, the message of the music is still used by God. It could be that no one in a local church knows anything of an artist's sinful lifestyle. Uh, making these decisions is sometimes contextual. It might work in one context, but not in another. And so we need to be wise in selecting the music we employ in our churches. But not decide solely based on the, the songwriter's lifestyle. God is sovereign. He's in control. And ultimately, our best, no matter what it is, no matter what our lifestyle is, is nothing but filthy rags. And even in musical leadership, God uses humankind's foolishness just as he does in preaching. And so if the message is true, why not use the, the composition the composer's lifestyle really doesn't impact the truth of the message, nor is using the person's music promoting their lifestyle. But we have to preach the truth always, whether directly or indirectly in the music we choose. So exercise wisdom, but let me encourage you to also not throw out the wonderful artistic expressions of composers who perhaps live lives contrary to Scripture. Pray for them. Help them if you have the opportunity, but realize that their work is from God, not themselves. Like I said, we know sometimes too much about people. If we could go back uh, centuries ago when hymn writers, um, uh, when we didn't have te technology like we have now, we didn't know the personal lives like we do now, um, I think we would be surprised by what we'd find by some of the hymn writers of some of the hymns that we use today. Um, the message is what matters, not the messenger. God can use anything and anyone he wants. Let us be as accurate as possible. Let us be as precise as possible. Let us be as wise as po possible. But I would uh, encourage you to consider the message above the messenger. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.